Hey, 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 it's Steven, your host for the Black Doctors Podcast. The idea for this podcast was born from this campaign I launched back in February, hashtag Make Black History. I am continuously inspired by the excellence represented by my peers who have overcome so many incredible obstacles to reach the pinnacle of their success. This podcast forum will provide an avenue to organize these stories for others to listen to and to learn from. This podcast is our stories told by us. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. Today, I'm privileged to have Dr. Curtis Opera with me in the studio. Uh, Curtis, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be on, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to invite me to your podcast. So Dr. Opara is an internal medicine physician. He practices in Texas. Dr. Opara, tell us about your current job and the roles that you play in the hospital setting. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I am an internal medicine physician, hospitalist to be exact. So I am on the inpatient side of things. And so um, I currently uh, work for a big time hospital here in Houston, Texas, where I am on a seven on seven off schedule. So I'm seven days on. And then when I'm off, when after my seven days on, I'm, I'm off for seven days, completely no ties whatsoever from the, from the hospital. Um, and so currently with us being an inpatient, we see everything from cardiac to stroke patients, uh, to ICU patients, uh, you name it, we see it. The only people that we don't necessarily see as much as OB-GYN. And at times we do see them as well, but only in when they are needing a consult for medical management. Wow, it's a pretty uh, broad scope of practice. It is, for sure. So tell me what a typical day is like um, when you're when you're working that seven-day stretch. Sure. So with the seven, whenever we're on for seven days, we do uh, 12 hours. for So 7A to 7P. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to be in the hospital from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but a lot of us do try to get there at 7 a.m., but we just got to make sure we have our phone on. That way, our nurses can reach us at any time. For me, per- particularly, um, I get to the hospital around 7, 7.30. I get to a computer, um, and I go over, I review all of my patients, all the patients that I'm seeing that day, review their chart, take care of anything that, ne- that needs to be done at that particular time, whether it's adding consoles, whether it's putting in other labs, whether it's starting medications, whatever the case is, I'll do all that right then and there. Um, and then from there, after I've done reviewed all of my patients, then I will go to the floor where my patients are at. At our particular campus, we do what's called unit-based rounding, where as hospitalists, we stay on a particular floor for the whole month. And so that way, there's a good continuity of care between ourselves as well as the nurses and the charge nurses. That way, they're not having to run around and look for, for docs. We have a good relationship during that month, and it makes it a lot easier for us as well as them. And we can also see these patients in a timely fashion instead of having to run from one tower to the next, yeah. uh, especially with how, how big our hospital is. So for me, after I review these charts, I go to the floor where I see these patients are, are located, and then I just do see, I just start from room one, and then I just see every single one. Um, and again, for us, this is unit-based rounding. It makes it easy to just go boom, 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 boom. After I see all these patients, um, we have something called MDDR rounds, which is multidisciplinary rounds, where it's myself, it is the charge nurse, um, it's case management, social work, pharmacy, physical therapy, respiratory therapy. We're all in a room. And with COVID and everything going on right now, we've ex- we've limited the amount of bodies in there. And some people are doing conference call. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll go over those patients that I rounded on. We'll go over 
what is what are the barriers for discharge? Because length of stay in the hospital is extremely big for any hospital, regardless of where you are in the country. So we'll do we'll go over what's going on, uh, what we need to do. Physical therapy will chime in, pharmacy will chime in, or whatever the case is, and we'll do whatever is needed to be done so we can get these patients home in a timely fashion. After I see my patients, we do these rounds. After these rounds, then I will go back and uh, start to put in any orders that needs to be done afterwards. After speaking with nurses, I'll start to work on my notes. And then by 12, every campus is different, but our campus particularly, we also help with admitting patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a, a few hours during our shift on that day, we will help to admit patients. So we have a doc on our in our team that will distribute patients to each one of us based off of census, how many patients you have on your list will determine when you get a patient. So we'll see patients coming from the ER, admit them to whatever floor, and we take care of them until the following day when one of our colleagues will take over who is covering that floor for that day. So we'll do that. And that pretty much adding that piece will, adding that ER element uh, makes our shift last till about 4 or 5 p.m. in the evening. Some of us are still there. Some of us take off. But again, because we're seven, because it's 12 hours, we have to keep our phone on for the till 7 p.m. And yeah. at that point, our night doc and nurse petitioner take over from there. OK, how many patients are you carrying on your census? So um, our particular campus is huge. We have uh, we have uh, approximately 12 to 13 day doctors. Um, every single day in the hospital uh, for us. And then for each day, Doc, we're averaging about 18 to 20 patients per doc. We have a huge uh, list um, amongst our team. Um, So I'm seeing about 18, 20 patients, sometimes a little more depending on the season. Um, But usually, I mean, the highest that, you know, someone will see any given time, maybe 24, but that's when things are just where it's Friday the 13th, full moon is out. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just going crazy in the hospital. Yeah. What are what are your favorite things about being a hospitalist? I think one of my favorite things is is having. I'm always I'm, I'm a huge family man, and not to say that other specialties you don't have that opportunity, but I'm a huge family man, and so for me, I wanted to find you know a a field that could help me have a great work life balance. Um, and so with hospitalists, with that seven on seven off schedule, you pretty much. Uh, it seems like every other week you're on vacation. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? So you can pick up extra shifts if you want. They're they're available, whether it's on our campus or other campuses. But if you want to just be off, you're off for seven days and not have to worry about, you know, calling or, you know, putting in for vacation time or anything like that. So that what seems to me a perfect work-life balance works with the hospitalist, uh, plays in favor with the hospitalist. Another thing is I get to see everything, you know what I mean? So right. obviously with a lot of fields with specialties, you, if it's just cardiology, it's just cardiology. If it's, GI, if it's just, if it's GI, it's just GI. But with hospitalists, it keeps me on my toes and, and I have to make sure that I know everything. So I have to refresh my, I have to refresh my, my knowledge on certain things. You know, there's, you don't see those things once you can get into a specialty. So, um, it keeps me on my toes and it, it keeps me from getting, you know, I guess bored, because uh, I get bored easily. So it keeps me from, you know, being able to see certain, you know, seeing certain conditions that we see in medical school, or we hear about in textbooks, but we don't necessarily see in, in real life, you know, that's as well as, you know, building these uh, relationships with patients, although they're for a short time, um, we're able to do that, you know, and see, you know, all the work we've put in to get them better and get them discharged also, uh, it, you know, is a big component of hospital field as well. If you had to change anything about your career or your practice, what would you change? 
Hmm. That's a good question. I actually haven't been asked that before. So, um, I don't, you know, it's, that's, a, that's, I don't know what I would change because I've never been a clinic person. And so, you know, some people, some hospitalists would love that clinic setting. Uh, but with how healthcare is going these days, you can't really do both. And if you do, you'll burn out. Um, but I, <laughs> I you know honestly that's a really good question and I really don't have one off the top of my head that I would. Well, I mean that's a, that's a really good answer. Then it sounds like you found uh, your your niche and and you found something that right. works for you and, and you're happy. That's awesome. Right, exactly. I think a lot of people wish they were in that situation. I I, I agree. With yeah. So so let's go back to the very beginning. Let's talk about when you first decided to become a physician. Uh, where were you and what were you up to at that that point in time where you came to that decision? I was in high school when I was actually uh, wanting to do engineering uh, before even medicine. And I come from a very strong medical background, So, but I wanted to do engineering initially. So when I got to high school, I was doing extremely well in algebra and all that. I was like, okay, we're good. We're going to continue on down this path. But then I ran into geometry and pre-calculus, and that just utterly just destroyed me. Um, and that kind of deterred me from continuing on, uh, especially with how much math is needed in engineering. Mm-hmm. So going into junior high school is when I decided, okay, this engineering thing is not for me. As much as I wanted to do it, I hated that math part that I just couldn't really grasp. So medicine was a set close second at that point in time, deciding on you know, what I wanted to do. So um, running into math, it, it made a quick, easy decision for me to switch over to medicine. So again, with my strong family background of medicine, it helped me just just make that trade-off into going medicine and then looking for the, the college that would put me in the best possible situation to get into medical school. And then where do you uh, end up going for college? Uh, I ended up going to Baylor University. I uh, went there, played football there, and also, you know, did health science pre-med there. Um, but obviously, I had a few challenges along the way with being a party animal and um, playing sports and being a frat boy. So it was quite challenging in college, but um, definitely still pre-med was my the ultimate, you know, being a doctor was the ultimate goal uh, through college. Yeah, and I, and I know you, you touch on a lot of that stuff in your brand new YouTube channel, which you started, what, about a month, month and a half ago now? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, what what motivated you to start that uh, YouTube channel? So, man, in the YouTube channel is Life of Dr. Curtis. Oh, I, you know, with my, I didn't have the the you know the typical route of becoming a doctor. I had been through so much, had so many challenges along the way, a lot of things I had to overcome. Um, and so, you know, in in this world, you know, everything is not cookie cutter. It's not a straight line path. There's a lot of obstacles that you have to overcome. And so, um, doing that and and you know becoming a doctor and and I'm very transparent on social media, letting people know and you know bringing letting people into my life and seeing the things that I went through had really opened. You know, a lot of people's eyes, a lot of people that wanted to do medicine and mm-hmm. um, but felt that they couldn't um, because they've never seen someone like themselves get there. But in all actuality, you know, they had they just hadn't seen it. And so me doing that, um, a lot of people have re- reached out to me on Instagram and, and was motivated by my story and my path. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people pushed me over the past two and three years of you know, creating my own YouTube channel so that I could reach a, a bigger audience and affect a lot of lives and, and get more, you know, African-Americans into a field where we're lacking it severely. And so, um, you know, I finally, you know, in our in our group, our uh, 
African-American uh, doctors group on Instagram, you know, we've all motivators, we all motivate <laughs> ourselves uh, yeah. to do better. And so, you know, one of our good friends in our group started his YouTube channel. And then from there, uh, I think that was the, the switch for me to go ahead and do it and to go ahead and stop procrastinating and make that happen. So I'm glad I did. You know, it took two or three years, but it's better late than never, you know. Seems like it's been going well. You know, how how's the success been thus far? No, I agree. I mean, it's whenever I put my my mind into something, man, it's just it's full throttle for me. I feel like uh, I feel like an action potential. It's all it's all or nothing with me. Um, and so um, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pursue this, I wanted to make sure I was I was all in. And 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 so it's been it's been a great experience. It's been a challenging one though, because um, I'm trying to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that way I can do it the way I want to. So it's been extremely time consuming, but it's been going well, man. It's the, the channel's been growing, man. It's been a month so far, and and it's been growing faster than I expected with quite a few. I think we're at just at 800 fall uh, oh, subscribers, wow. which is good. Um, and so, um, and I'm just getting started. So, um, it's, it's, uh, I think the biggest thing is like, again, it's time consuming. I'm doing all the editing myself. Um, and so it, it definitely takes a lot of time away from other things that I would love to do, but I think it's one of, I think it's one of my callings and, you know, and making sure that I can get my, my life out there that way I can affect as many other lives as possible. Yeah. You said you like the action potential, man. You had yeah, I gotta think about that one. It's been a while since I thought about uh, action potentials. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, man. I didn't want to take you back to medical school. Oh man, man. PTSD. Um, speaking of speaking of medical school, so you attended. Uh, let me get this right, Ross University. Right, right. So tell me about about that. It's a uh, uh, one of the Caribbean medical schools. How was your time there? Um, it was a good one, man. I, I actually wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, if you, if you were to ask me, you know, what I if I had the chance and I was given the opportunity of going to U.S. Uh, knowing what I went through with Caribbean, would I have still gone to Caribbean around and I, and I still would have said yes. For me personally, at that time, I wasn't ready. Um, I was t- I was too easily distracted with things outside of school. So getting me away and putting me on an island where there's not a lot of things to do and really just grinding to get to where I needed to be uh, was the best thing for me. So uh, my time there, I mean, again, there's not a lot of things to do. It's just really just studying. Obviously, there's a beach. There's a couple of things that you can do, but it's not where there's clubs all over the place or there's a mall and all of that. So It's not, it's not Houston. Uh, no, it's not Houston. Not, not, not for the least bit. Uh, so it really it really helped me focus on what I needed to do. Uh, it, you know, obviously it's a third world country, so you have to adjust to uh, to life there. But because I'm Nigerian, I've been to Nigeria. I mean, it feels like ten times since I've been born. Um, it was an easy transition for me, which made it not a problem for me to go to Ross. And R- Ross has a lot of success of getting a lot of students matched. Um, knowing that and going into Ross, I felt like I would be fine as long as I focused um, mm-hmm. extremely uh, hard. Uh, so I mean I, I love I love my time with Ross man again I wouldn't change it for anything it really helped me get to where I was or get to where I am today. And with that program, you were on the island for two years, and then you come back to the states for rotations. Right, right, right. So it's actually a, exactly sixteen months. Four months you do four semesters there. Each semester uh, consists of four months. Uh, so you do sixteen months there, and then you do this one semester called. It's like kind of a preclinical rotation. You can do that on the island. You can do it in Miami. Um, so you do that while you're getting ready to take uh, your boards. Mm-hmm. And so you do your clinicals. There's a few clinicals you can do on the island, but 99% of people do their clinicals mm-hmm. in the States. I did my 16 months on the island, did my 
preclinical rotation of four months in Miami and then took step one and then I did my clinicals uh, in the States. And they matched you up for those clinicals? Yeah. So they give us a list of clinicals that are available, different hospitals. There's certain hospitals where you can do, I believe it's called a track program where you can knock all of your rotations, clinical rotations at one hospital. The downside of Ross is the fact that it's not that for everybody. Not everybody can do these track rotations. So a lot of students happen to, at least back then, had to bounce from hospital to hospital doing a clinical rotation. So that could be quite cumbersome to do and annoying to kind of live, feel like you're living from your suitcase. And so you pick your own rotations where you want them to, whether it's New York, uh, Georgia, Florida, other pa- other states across the country. I mean, they're they're pretty much in every state across the country now these uh, nowadays. Uh, but you pick your own, set it up how you want to, I mean, just go through them and take step two whenever you feel you're ready to do so. And you know, a common question for students that are at uh, Caribbean medical schools or considering going there, you know, what tips do you have for them, or what advice would you have for them to come back and match successfully in the the states? You know, if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would I think I would be a little more confident in my answer. But now with these new changes with step one, uh, it's hard to really get a grasp on how this step one is going to help. Will it help or hurt Caribbean students? And that's just being 100 percent honest, um, um, honest, because nowadays now it's, you know, pass or fail. And so prior to that, I would say, I mean, just step one is the most important test of your life. As long as you do extremely well on that then you'll do just fine. Um, even if you just do, even if you, even if you just do okay, you'll do just fine depending on which field you want to go into. So whether it's internal medicine, emergency, pediatrics, OB-GYN, those fields, people that apply to those fields tend to do extremely well. And so I would, and I would just tell people to, if you're getting into a Caribbean medical school, Ross and St. George being the top two by far, just, I mean, just kill that step one, focus on killing that step one. Um, and everything will take care of itself. But if you're looking to do orthopedics, general surgery, neurosurgery, ophthalmology, things like that, those tend to be extremely tough for Caribbean grads. Not that you can't get into them. Um, they're just extremely tough to get into. So uh, that's where you have to really network, um, really get in. And whether it's research or whatever the case is at certain hospitals, you you really have to grind extremely hard to get into those fields. But I, I am a big component of Caribbean Medical School, so if someone is, you know, hearing that you shouldn't go, um, by all means, apply. I am all for them, especially St. George and Ross, who has a, a proven track record of getting students um, in, matched into residency programs at such a high rate. I think it's close to 90%, which is extremely high, wow. uh, given that it's Caribbean Medical School. So um, don't listen to these people that are saying don't go. If that is what you want, then by all means, shoot for it because a lot of people are out here being extremely successful coming from these Caribbean medical schools. Absolutely. I think that's great, great advice that a lot of people were um, happy to hear. And I think, you know, in this time of, of COVID and the changes in the step exam process, there's so much uncertainty across the board. That is something that unfortunately students these days are just going to have to kind of weather the storm. And I think they'll come out okay. We still need doctors. We still need residency programs filled. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And right now, because of that, obviously, um, you know, we Caribbean medical schools, because it's in the Caribbean, every the students right now are in the states. And so, if you're if you're a U.S. grad, then obviously you can be in the city of where your school is located at. But now there are a lot of students because of COVID. A lot of students are 
back in the States and can't get into, cannot fly into Caribbeans. And so right now they're doing online classes, which is fine because a lot of schools are doing that anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but COVID, but this COVID pandemic right now is really, is really, you know, making people adjust to what feels like the new norm, um, although, you know, it remains to be seen. Have you in your clinical practice ever encountered any discrimination um, either during residency or now because you attended a Caribbean medical school? Um, I, me personally, I had not, but um, I would say, you know, amongst my peers as other students, whenever you do clinical rotations at times, um, you may be, you know, at a, you may be uh, doing a rotation with U.S. grads. And so, you know, when when they ask you what school you're from, you know, you're saying you're Ross, you may get that look that, oh, you're from a Caribbean school and they may feel like they're superior to you and at times. And they may not say that, but, you know, actions and face expressions can, mm-hmm. you know, can tell a, a thousand words. So I haven't I haven't experienced that myself. I've no other people have. But I think I see I've seen it more with peers just when, you know, they ask you what school you go to and you tell them and then. You know, they they say things that kind of tells you, okay, they weren't really, they're not really fond of Caribbean medical students, so they feel like they're more inferior to them. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, right, we took the same tests, we took the same board exam, so uh, we're doing the same thing. Exactly. And I I got a little bit of that. You know, I went to Howard, so we were at a okay. we rotated with other at other hospitals in the city with other programs that will remain unnamed, but you can look them up. But yeah, you know, people are like, oh, you one of the Howard students, and, and we got some flack coming that way um so definitely right. like you 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 start growing some thick skin in our profession exactly exactly i know one of the things that's huge to you is your family it's your heritage you are of nigerian descent yes sir yes 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 so yeah tell us about about your family and 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 how that's impacted your life sure so um obviously if you if you know about nigerians you know that nigerians especially parents don't play about uh, about their uh, education. Uh, my parents were born and raised in Nigeria and came here. And so me and my siblings were were born and raised here in Houston, Texas. Uh, but education was, you know, number one, two, three, four, five, all the way down on 10, all the way to 10, you know, on the priority list before anything else. You know, education was huge. Um, all of us played sports, but, you know, we weren't, if we didn't have a B or higher, there's, I mean, there was no sports. It was, um, it was pretty tough, obviously, with, and especially me being the oldest, you know, dealing, pretty much being a guinea pig, dealing with all of that and my parents and in all the strict ways, but obviously it was for the, it was for the uh, better. You know, we have a very strong culture here in Houston. I think Houston is probably the biggest Nigerian uh, community in the country. You know, the way our culture is, we're very family oriented and we're very educational oriented. Um, and because of that, you know, it leads to a lot of success. And I mean, if you see it, I think there's been a lot of posts and things of Nigerians being extremely successful um, in our country. And that just stems back from how, you know, the our parents were um, growing up, the values that they instilled in us. Yeah. And, and your parents are from Nigeria or, or how, um, you know, what generation are you in, in the States? You were born here or can you tell us a little yes. bit about that background? Sure, sure, sure. So they were, so they were born and raised in Nigeria, came here in 1980. 
Um, so my siblings and I we're, we're first generations. They came here. They worked their they worked their butt off to get to where they are. My dad's a pharmacist, director of pharmacy. And my mom, uh, she was a nurse for quite a while before she uh, opened her own um, home home healthcare business. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like as I stated before, in terms of you know being from a strong medical background, you see where that came from. You know, we were as I say, we were born and raised here. So myself, obviously, I'm a doctor. I have three siblings. My two brothers, who are second and third oldest, are one of us is a doctor, the other one is an attorney. And then my sister, who is the baby, uh, is a nurse practitioner. Out of the six of us, five of us are in the medical field. And then my brother, who was outcast, uh, chose <laughs> the, uh, the the law route. Uh, but it's like, all good. Sounds though. like a typical uh, Nigerian family. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very impressive. So if you had to choose between... Nigerian jollof rice and Hennessy. Well, which would it be? Wow, you really gonna you really gonna put me out there like that? You really gonna you really gonna make give me the ultimatum with the Hennessy <laughs> versus the, the jollof? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with jollof rice, man. Jollof rice has just a it has. It's, I mean, it, it's I mean, you haven't really lived life until you've had jollof rice, man. Uh, it is uh, it is very uniquely made, man. The 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 taste, the seasoning, everything about it is just. It's just great, man. So, uh, honestly, the more I think about it, I, I would choose jollof rice ten times over, man. Oh man, uh, yeah, yeah, especially when it's made right. Um, so, um, there's your answer, man. Yeah, there's yeah, I know that was always uh, the debate at, at <laughs> Howard. You know, we had a, a bunch of uh, Nigerian students, who had Ghanaian students, and everybody's going in about who has the best jollof rice. I mean, hands down, it seemed to be Nigeria, but there was also more Nigerians there, so. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I know I've heard we've had those competitions, but I mean, there's not really, there's no really no competition for us, man. We <laughs> we know Nigerians, jollof rice is hands down number one, um, regardless of how many of us are here. I mean, it's just it, it is what it is, man. But um, uh, uh, it is it's still uh, a funny thing to discuss. Cause I actually haven't had Ghanaian jollof rice. I haven't, um, but I've we've had people who've tested them. Uh, Jalof, uh, uh, Nigerian versus Ghanaian, and, and, and Nigerian seems to win every single time. So, I think that right there is enough. There you uh, go. We, you heard it here. Heard it here, folks. Don't, don't mess around <laughs> with that other uh, the other stuff. Nah, 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 man. I'm gonna get some hate mail from uh, our other other <laughs> brethren. Yeah, um, I'm sure I will too, man. At least that'd be some mail, you know. We, we just... <laughs> Uh, don't leave me a bad review though, y'all. Y'all give me still give me the five star review. Um, let's let's round this up, man. You you like cars? Love them. Tell us about what you're driving, uh, what your dream car is. Um, tell us tell us about your 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 garage. So off top, my dream car is a Bugatti, and I hope that I can own one of the Bugattis one day. And those cars are like four hundred thousand easily. Um, if I can own one, that would be great, man. And I'm and I'm, I'm gonna push to 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 hopefully own one of those one of these days. But um, yeah, I'm a huge car guy, man. Um, I have currently I have a Bentley uh, Continental GT, um, six twenty one horse car, uh, six twenty one horsepower, uh, twin turbo. Uh, just it's just a beautiful car. Um, and I also have a Porsche Panamera. Um, so my Bentley is my weekend car. My Porsche Panamera is my weekly driver. Okay. And, um, I love those cars and I, I plan on, you know, at some point, hopefully the next couple of years to get rid of the Bentley and, and, and try to get a Lambo or a Ferrari. 
but I will always hmm. stay in the Porsche family, man. Okay. I will always stay in the Porsche family. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Last but not least, uh, Dr. Alpara, I know you've dealt with a lot of struggles to come this far, you know, whether it's academic stuff back in college, leaving the country for medical school, living up to the high expectations of your family. Another thing that people wouldn't know by looking at you, but at at some point you were diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, myasthenia gravis, and that had a profound uh, effect on on your life and and your process. Can you share just a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I uh, was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis actually in medical school a few months before I took the step one. Wow. That was, and for a family where, you know, the only thing that we have running through our family is high blood pressure. Um, that was a huge, uh, I mean, it was just a shocker for myself as well as my family. So you can imagine trying to deal with that in school and step one and all of that with regards to the symptoms that you deal with myosin and gravis. You know, I dealt with that and I actually went, I actually got into quite a bit of detail on my YouTube channel. Actually, I think the last two videos I did, I talked about that in depth. Okay. Uh, anyone that doesn't really know about myosin and gravis, you can definitely see some of the things that I had to deal with during medical school. But, um, you know, obviously it was another challenge, another challenge I had to deal with in order to get to where I wanted to be. Um, it's, it's something that obviously I still deal with now, but I am, you know, a hundred times better than I was when I first diagnosed. And even now, like I said, I'm very transparent. So I don't mind letting people know that, I, you know, I'm still taking medication. I'm actually on prednisone right now that I've been taking for 10 plus years. So, you know, it's one of those things where I just, it's something that I just have to look at the glass half full and, 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 and continue on and not dwell on, you know, why I have it and some of the symptoms that I deal with from time to time. I'm at least blessed to be able to work and it not limit me or, you know, prohibit me from seeing patients. I've never been restri- having to be restricted from seeing patients at the wow. hospital up to this point. Um, and so I've just been really, really uh, big on taking care of myself uh, mentally, physically, spiritually. Those things right there help to f- combat, you know, whatever symptoms I may deal with from time to time with regards to my and gravis. Wow. I mean, well, thank you for sharing um, your your whole life story with us. I know there's a lot more that we can watch and learn from on your YouTube channel, which is freaking hilarious. Uh, if you guys haven't <laughs> haven't seen his channel, it's the, what, the life of Dr. Curtis. Yep, Dr. The, the life of Dr. Curtis O. The life of Dr. Curtis O. Hilarious. Like this, this dude will have you cracking up laughing. Um, and he's also on Instagram at Dr. Feels Good. <laughs> Um, but a great guy to watch. He's transparent. He's uh, inspirational. Um, Dr. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, is there anything else or any other way you want to let our listeners know how they can get involved or how they can uh, follow you and, and find out more about yourself and the things you're up to? Sure. So uh, uh, Dr. Fieldsgo, as you stated, they can reach, they can come and um, kind of follow my story. Again, I'm very transparent, so I always you know, share whatever I can to help that next person in life. Um, reach, you know, you can follow me on Instagram, as stated before, YouTube. Um, leave a question. I think it's better off to leave questions on YouTube in the, in the comment section. I get to those a bit better than Instagram. So feel free to leave any questions that you have, and I'll make sure I get to those. And where I plan on, you know, providing a lot of information moving forward. And again, the work-life balance is something I'm going to get into later on in the YouTube channel with my f- son being born. In the next month and a half, I'm going to dive Congrats. into being a, you know, a doctor and trying to juggle that. Appreciate it. Trying to juggle that and, 
in the family life, you know, work in family life. So, and I'll do my best to, uh, you know, help people along the way. Awesome. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, we'll be looking forward to watching you drive off in that, uh, that, that Bugatti one day. <laughs> I appreciate that. We want to be dedicated to existence, man. All right. Amen, brother. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. I appreciate it. See you, brother. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. If you like what you heard, please uh, share, leave a message or a comment as well. Tune in next week to hear more of our stories told by us on the Black Doctors Podcast.